Hello, welcome to the Relevant Faith Podcast. My name is Frank Mistretta, and on this podcast, Pastor Troy Wallace and I have Bible-focused, Jesus-centered discussions about what it looks like to live as a Christian in today's culture. If you have any feedback, want to ask a question, have a topic you would like us to talk about, or just want to be on the show, you can email us at relevantfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out Crosspoint Adventist Church on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adventist and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash crosspointadven. That's A-D-V-E-N. Be sure to watch the Crosspoint Worship Service live stream at our website at crosspointadventist.com Saturdays at 11.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome everybody to the Relevant Faith Podcast. It has been a while since we've recorded an episode, but I want to thank you guys for your patience. And today we have a special conversation with a special guest. He is a friend and a classmate of mine in the seminary. He's going to be a future phenom in the Old Testament scholarship world, so you can look out for him. Maybe he'll be <laughs> writing commentaries and other things that you'll be reading one day, but his name is Noah Dale. Uh, Noah, you can introduce yourself and just say hi. Hi. Wow, what a, what a great welcome. <laughs> I didn't deserve that, that high, high praise, but, oh, but yes. I appreciate it. You, yeah. you did, Dan. And Noah and I have been studying Hebrew together for uh, nearly a year now um, mm-hmm. and learning this ancient language. And so he's a good friend of mine, and I really respect him, and I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about today. Um, and so here we go. We are discussing something really interesting. Um, Noah and I have both been learning about various like hermeneutics and what that means is that we've been learning, um, different lenses to read scripture through predominantly, um, in the Western world, the, the majority of scholarship and commentary on biblical literature has been done from like a very homogenous group of people, largely um, European-centric, uh, Western-thinking, largely white European-centric Western-thinking, and um, it's focused highly on historical, uh, critical methods and looking at the Bible through a historical lens, which is valuable. Um, but recently, since the last hundred years or so, there's been an influx of research and uh, readings of Scripture through non-dominant, non-powerful people groups. Um, A lot of scholarship through uh, Black communities with liberation theology, scholarship through um, Latin American and Native American uh, in in colonized uh, post-colonial theology, which is what we're talking about today. Um, New uh, research and reading from Asian American and Asian um, hermeneutical lenses. So it's been really cool to see just a bigger, broader picture of reading the Bible through other people's eyes. And uh, so today we're talking uh, about a story from the book of Ruth through a post-colonial lens, post-colonial lens. And uh, so we're going to dive in. And to start out, um, just want to describe primarily how the book of Ruth has been read and how uh, some of those ways of reading it have affected certain people groups. So around the time of of America's formation, um, uh, around the time of America's formation, there was obviously a lot of tension between uh, this new frontier 
American people and the native people in America. And so um, part of the formation of this country was through this process of colonization. Interestingly enough, Thomas Jefferson in, um, in some of his letters, actually one letter that he wrote called Notes, uh, Notes on the State of Virginia in 1787, he describes uh, this Native American people through this type of language. He observes that this group that he called uh, Aborigines, um, they were similar to what he would describe as um, the type of people of Moab. So he says that instances similar to that of Ruth and Boaz are not uncommon among the native people. For though the women are modest and diffident and so bashful that they seldom lift their eyes and scarce ever look a man full in the face, yet being brought up on great subjection, customs and manners reconcile them to modes of acting, which judged by the Europeans would be deemed inconsistent with the rules of female decorum and propriety. <laughs> what do you think about that, Noah? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's making up categories of otherness pretty clearly <laughs> and, and, and not just create, not just comparing things because that's just an observation, but to, to create the norm and then everyone else is deviating from the norm. So, and it's funny how he brings up the Ruth story in that to yeah, make that almost yeah. to justify himself. Yeah. yeah. So to, I mean, you could say that that's a way that scripture is being used to, to justify uh, colonizing another society and people groups. And so mm -hmm. um, a colonizing type of theology, uh, one good example, I, I think this is more of a modern example would be like when you ever have seen or watched like missionary movements and and missionaries go to a certain region, maybe it's in Africa or in Latin America, South America, and they start teaching uh, English songs and they start wearing suits to church and they form and create these churches where the customs and culture of church or Christianity at large starts to look so uh, westernized and starts to be dominated by the culture that brought them that Christianity. And it's interesting, like I serve as a pastor in a church, um, and it's interesting when I've gone to visit like South American countries and these very rural, very poor people are spending as much money as they can afford to buy a suit to go to church. Right? And it's seen, it's seen almost as like this great sacrifice, like I'm giving God my best. I'm trying to like please the Lord through like giving him yep. my finances and my dress and my attitude and everything like that. Um, and I it just reminded me of um, even later in like the 1800s, as the frontier increased towards the West, you have um, Native American children being abducted. Hmm. Um, and, and then take it and then forced to dress the way that white people do and then to only speak English. And I, I'm getting the title wrong, but it's boarding school, these boarding schools. And we reflect back on it and it's like, that was terrible. But in the moment it's missional, right? We, we think it's the right thing to do, but in reality, we're just stripping them of themselves. Um, and the gospel kind of becomes secondary to, to white identity. Yeah. Yeah. It can be very, very harmful. 
So the Book of Ruth, um, in more ways than just uh, this like blat this blatantly justifiable reason to assimilate Native Americans, um, it it in its own language uh, speaks uh, it it others people in very specific ways. And so let's look at a particular passage in the Book of Ruth. Um, so in the beginning of the Book of Ruth, I'll summarize a little bit at the beginning. Ruth and uh, Ruth's sister-in-law Orpah, uh, they were married um, formally to Kilian and Ma Malon, and they these two boys were the sons of Naomi, and uh, sometime prior to their return to Bethlehem, or with Ruth's return, Naomi to Bethlehem, um, there was a famine in the land, and Elimelech, Elimelech Naomi, and, um, and others had to migrate into, into Moab, where Kilion and Malon married Ruth and Orpah, and eventually these two sons died. And so uh, there's this decision to be made. Naomi now has no children and no future children to guarantee her a place in a family with an inheritance because it's property and inheritance is always through the men, um, where <laughs> she has to decide, what am I going to do? And so she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And she asked the girls in Ruth chapter one, um, she asked Ruth and Orpah uh, to return home. She says, you guys can return home. And we see Ruth in the story saying, no, no, no. Like, I will never leave you. I will, Basically, I want to go with you and I want to return with you. And we see Orpah um, end up accepting her offer and returning home. So that's kind of the beginning of the, the book of, of Ruth. Um, but what's significant about the book of Ruth is how the author of the book of Ruth frames who Ruth is. And one of the key ways that she, how she, how the author, she or he or whoever, multiple authors might have written it, um, frame Ruth is that Ruth is a Moabite from Moab. So we see this specific language about Ruth the Moabite from Moab, and there's a lot that goes into why that designation is made so um, emphatically, right? What what are your like kind of uh, impulses as to why that is mentioned so significantly? You know, well, first of all, it'd just be weird if I said, "Hey, I'm no, I'm a Hoosier from Indiana." Right, <laughs> out of or I don't know if you guys know, but we're called Hoosiers. Indeed, people who live in Indiana, but you wouldn't say both of those. So the emphasis on the on the Moabite title is just it's it's a it's used by the author to communicate the reference to Moab in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, right? Which is an overall, I would right, is in like a negative portrait of Moab generally from Numbers and. Yeah, Genesis and the Torah. So, like you know, your your brilliant scholarship. What is what are the roots of Moab, Noah? As you understand it. Oh, if I'm getting my my story straight, I mean, there's some really fun stories in Genesis that everyone knows, and then there's just a lot of wacky ones. And the kind of <laughs> the, the wackiest one is is right after the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Everyone gets that preached at them, but then you get Lot, right? He, he makes it out of the city. You know, he's, he's kind of saved by Abraham kind of bartering for him. Um, but then he makes a deal with the, with the angels and then he's able to not go where he's supposed to, but go into the cliff or, or go to like what the crag, he goes into some cave. Right. And yeah. then, um, but with his wife, you know, the salt thing, um, 
his daughters are like, hey, we need to preserve the line. So let's get him drunk. Let's have sex with him. I think it's echoing the Noah story, right? With with Noah in the tent and then getting drunk and then get, but they're getting his father, you know, their father drunk. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's kind of a shameful, what's the word? Etiology? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, like a, an origin story of Moab um, is from Lot, you know, the nephew of Abraham and then his, and then his two daughters that kind of do this act of self-preservation, but it's still kind of morally sketchy. Absolutely. So um, there's incest and Moab is the son of uh, Tamar, who is the son, bastard son or incestuous son of Lot. And, and he is like, he is who the country of Moab is named after. So mm-hmm. every time this author is repeating in the book of Ruth that Ruth the Moabite is from Moab, and um, they're continuing to pronounce her Moabiteness ethnic history, they're basically saying like Ruth is the person from the immoral and incestuous nation of Moab. Like, yeah. And this label is becoming the identity of the other, which is similar to what Thomas Jefferson had labeled like this uncivilized, uncouth, un, uh, immoral um, people group that needs to be transformed, right? Needs to be changed. Yeah. And this is kind of the emphasis behind like a colonizing theology, right? It's a, yes. we need to share Jesus or we need to share the Bible to people who are ignorant, stupid, and like, lost right yeah there's there's apparently something within their their dna or you know or in the dna of their culture at the least that is that needs to be changed like not just give them the gospel or or give them that you know the wisdom of god but give them also a change in clothes <laughs> and a change of or or as what's the doesn't the jefferson quote go on to say like his solution would be for them just to basically inbreed right (laughs) and his words yeah so his his solution for the he calls it the aborigine problem or the indian problem his solution is assimilation largely through mixing which this mixing happened through intermarriage right so his solution for the indian problem is that uh indian women would become the the wives of white men and there would be a mixing and and a sort of washing out of um, Indian cultures. Um, and sadly, you know, what this meant for a Native American woman, because the post-colonial reading that I'm focusing on is from this Native American perspective. Um, but what a Native American woman had to do was abandon her tradition, her history, her ancestry, her family, her tribe, her land in a lot of senses to join this white man's family right? This white man's family, to become an American, largely not by choice, right? The Ruth story is very similar. So one element of the Ruth story is that in order to have uh, redemption for Naomi and her family line, she had to be redeemed, right? Redeemed through something called Leverite marriage. And so, you know, if you're not familiar with Leverite marriage for all of our listeners, uh, Leverite marriage was the process of um, if a, a son or a male um, husband of a wife died, the family, uh, the brothers within that same family would then choose to redeem that widow in order to bring her and her family 
into the, the inheritance and the promises of that particular family's um, unit, right? So she was in, in, in essence destitute unless a man decided I'm going to include her. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to bring her and her children into the family lineage so that they can have a future, uh, a future people, a future land and future inheritance. Um, otherwise it was nothing. So Ruth in this almost like sacrificial saving way is entering into this really patriarchal, very uh, male empowered structure and system so foreign to her, her homeland in Moab. Uh, it's interesting that it's thought in the Moabite culture that um, families were more female centric and female uh, led, like, well, males were still important in the culture, but like the family was decided by female um, heritage um, in one thing that I read. And so she's abandoning even that way of like operating and relating to family to enter into this uh, very patriarchal uh, form of rede redemption, right? To become per a member of that family. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, this story like has been presented, the Ruth story has been presented as like, Ruth is like the ideal convert or she's the ideal immigrant. She is the epitome of what a person sh should do when like entering into America, if you want to po pose it that way or the, 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 the more morally and ethnically superior nation or country or people or religion, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas, um, whereas you can see, like, may, maybe she's an ideal person, but does that make her the ideal immigrant? Uh, I think, the, the, for me, the greater, the greater impact of Ruth's story is not the country she's leaving or the people she's left behind, but the person she is in her relationship to Naomi and to everybody else in Israel, right? Mm -hmm. She seems to not harbor this hatred towards Israelite, even though Moabites and Israelites have been at war for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And even though at one point Israelite was, was imperializing the land of Canaan and Moab and Edom and everything like that, uh, she seems to be somebody of, of moral character and um, that is, I don't know, doing something way out of character for Naomi to keep her included in her own kind of imbalanced system or family system. So, yeah. Yeah, she's reminded me of Rahab in a way where with Jericho, the, the situation is just so similar because in Jericho, you know, Rahab is the, like the lone, her and her family are like the lone people out of this whole giant city. The, the city is emphasized as being so big, yet she's just the one person that sticks up for, and, and she's, it says that she fears Yahweh. So I'm just seeing parallels to that. But you can also see that story in the same way that with, with the, the more pessimistic view of Ruth that you're talking about, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, Boaz is kind of the rich white colonizer. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, Ruth is the one who has to adapt her identity in order to survive. Rahab is doing something similar while like, you know, Joshua and his army are the, are the colonizer, mm -hmm. literally the invasive spirit colonizer 
Rahab does what she has to for her and her family to survive. And then she also marries in, as we know from you know, later later biblical sources. So there's just parallels with women all over the, the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible yeah. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, Rahab is Boaz's mom. So, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the family. Yeah, I, I, I think that Matthew is is purposely doing something with that. Yeah, yeah, totally. The genealogy. Okay, so if if this is the story, and this is the way that like biblical stories are often read, where like there's a people group that are chosen, and then there's a people group that aren't, and it's unless people change and 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 reject and walk away from everything they've ever known and done that they can really fully be a part of like a God's plan. Like this is a lot of times the way that like the Bible and the gospel and uh, faith is spread and shared. Um, so what if we were to flip the tables, which is what a post-colonial re reading does and say, okay, how would we read this story through the lens of the disempowered, through the lens of the imperialized, through the lens of those who have suffered at the violence of the colonizers how would we read this story? And uh, just one way that um, this story has been read is what if instead of uh, Ruth being the ideal convert, Ruth is is rather um, somebody who's retained her Moabiteness while living in Israel's structures and systems. Like what if what if the reading isn't that Moab is the evil of the story, but that uh, Ruth, the Moabitess, is demonstrating a balance of where her Moabiteness can still exist in Israel, right? Where she's still Moabite, and it's labeled over and over and over throughout the entire narrative of the book of Ruth that she's a Moabite. But she fits into this system out of necessity, but also out of like love and sacrifice for Naomi. Um, she does these things while still being a Moabite. A Moabite, like I think that that type of reading would really change like Christian mission, right? And so I wanna spend like a few minutes, Noah, just talking about like, how does an alternative like reading of a story like Ruth change the way we think about like Christian evangelization, right? Like um, how have you seen it, like maybe in your communities and cultures versus like how you wanna live it going forward and lead it? Man, there's so much there. And I, I agree that Ruth can be a battleground place because the way that you interpret it, as you, you just gave two readings, and one empowers the the outsider to become equal on an equal footing with the quote unquote insider, in the, you know the one that you just said, but then the other one gives justification for the pretty typical missional style of just you know the the colonized have to adopt the identity oftentimes of the white colonizer. Um, so I think it's really important how we read the story. And I don't know, my own, I guess my own opinion would be whether the biblical authors of whoever authored Ruth, how are they presenting the story? I, th I, th I think that they're, they are keeping her identity intact. The whole story is written about this one person, not changing her Moabiteness, but, um, her using her courage it's more about her courage and the it's more about her courage and what she does with that rather than her ethnicity 
Mm. Right. Like ethnicity becomes kind of like, oh, this is what the story is, is like the setup. But then it's really about who she is on the inside, something that goes across mm. ethnic boundaries or the way they see it with ethnic boundaries. So, yeah, maybe the story starts in a place where it could be taken that way, but you have to read the rest of it. And it's really focused on like, what's it where, you know, Naomi's like, hey, be careful, Ruth. You know what could happen here if you go to Boaz and he would, you know what could happen. But she's yeah. like, I'm. I'm, I'm Ruth, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strong. So this becomes more about her character than about her, um, either her, her assimilation or her rejection, you know, those, that binary doesn't become as important later on. It becomes more about her character. Um, so I don't know if that disqualifies us to talk to using this story in a, I think, I hope it disqualifies us of using it in a negative way to you know, evangelize and just try to say, Hey, be, be like Ruth, you know, drop your Moabite status and come to us, you know, but maybe it could be more of an encouragement, like, Hey, despite how, you know, messed up this famine has been and, and your life that is so, what does Naomi call it? Bitter, you know, bitter, bitter, bitter. Like, yeah. what, what does, what does courage look like? Sorry, I'm talking for so long in this, but no, um, that's great. I think that, that, that may be an option. Yeah. So focusing on, like character development instead of the prejudices against people groups and in other dynamics in the story, I think is important. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Cause she does demonstrate a lot of courage and she does demonstrate uh, what, what somebody who's willing to risk everything for another person looks like. And she's, she's almost like a, like a, a pre-type of like a type of self-sacrificial Jesus character. Right where she's yeah. laying down everything. She's entering into a foreign land. She's following, not because she has to, or, I mean, she could go back to Moab just like Orpah did and rejoin her family and probably remarry at some point. Um, but instead she chooses to sacrifice. Um, and, and I would say it's not because she know, knew and loved Yahweh so much, right? Yeah. Like the story. He's not, he's not mentioned that much. Yeah, yeah. The story doesn't give a lot of evidence of that, but it's, it's because she, she really loved Naomi and she, I don't know. She just felt like this was her call, calling. This is her burden. Um, and she plays a significant role, like later in the scriptures of being, you know, the mother of, uh, I think it's Obed, who is the mother of Jesse, who's the mother of David, who, yeah, yeah. you know, and then so on and so forth, all the way through to Jesus. I could be wrong about this, but I think Ruth is described as having chesed. Steadfast love? Huh. Yeah, which is only used, uh, you, you do a search of that word, really God is the only one to... Like covenantal to, love. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, God is like the, the person to have chesed, and then only a few times can humans bear it, and Ruth being one of them. So yeah, maybe Yahweh isn't mentioned by name, but if we're going to identify a godly character... <laughs> Yeah. Come on, it's. I mean, yeah, Boaz is great, but but Ruth is, you know, it starts with a famine, and then people don't trust, so they have to leave. Yeah. But but and then it would be like you said, easier for Ruth to go back to her family ties, where there has been a consistency of bread apparently. Yeah. But she does she does the opposite of what these Jewish men do. Mm. She's she's presented as more wise mm. than than the patriarchal people around her, the, the patriarchal society around her. So if we if we keep on that character thing, the foreigner sometimes acts more like Yahweh than the insiders mm. do. So we can still have this post-colonial reading of inside-outside, but 
the story is actually kind of critiquing it and saying sometimes outsiders are a lot wiser than the than the insiders who hold the power you know yes yeah oh, that's a powerful reading man. and i think that that's a good place to to end um yeah there could be so many more things we say about this story and other ways that other colonized peoples might look and read this story we didn't even mention like what if the narrative of orpa is a positive narrative in you know in returning and and, and going back to family and that being still yeah. like something of a good thing right like there's so many different readings of the story that we could have taken but i like i, I think that's a good place to close like sometimes the foreigner can embody the principles of god better than than sometimes the people of god the chosen mm -hmm. sometimes the the outsider can be more acting like the chosen than the chosen people themselves they don't have anything to lose right <laughs> the outsiders are at their wit's end so they have to trust yahweh they have to become like yahweh to survive while the insider has a lot of power yeah. and yeah yeah for sure well noah thanks for joining the show today uh we always close these episodes with just a word of prayer and so uh, we'll take a minute just to pray here as we as we end God, we want to thank you for the scriptures that teach us so many things that can show us how you've interacted with people throughout history, but also can show us the type of character that you yourself have embodied. And um, Lord, we pray that, that what we would see in scripture continually would empower all people, that would bring, um, that would bring light and hope to all people, that we would not continue down this pathway that tries to shape people like ourselves in order to be in your kingdom but would allow people to shape us too through how they demonstrate who you are so thank you for uh, uh, the ability to look at these stories through so many lenses and we help to understand more fully and more deeply what you're trying to share in jesus name amen amen